Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Turn Evangelism Podcast with T.S. Myers. Our prayer is that this message impacts your life. If it does, let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and let us know how God used this message to influence you. If you would like to follow our ministry, we would love for you to go to turnevangelism.com and check us out. So to help us depend on Christ's fullness, Paul reminds us that we must remember that the fullness of Christ is reality. We don't get to choose how we get saved. The reality is, if you want to be saved, you find yourself in Christ. If you hang out in the shadows, you'll find out that you're a sinner. If you believe in Jesus and find yourself in him, you'll find out that Jesus saves you and brings you to fullness and cleans you from the inside out. The fullness of Christ is reality. And secondly, the fullness of Christ is where we need to, second R, you ready? It's where we need to remain. It's reality, and it's where we need to remain. Colossians 2.18. Colossians 2.18 says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, right, there we have it, and the worship of angels disqualify you. Think about these visions, worship of angels that these guys are having. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. No, no, you don't understand. I've had a vision from God. This is what I've seen from him. I've had these spiritual experiences. This is what Paul says. They are puffed up. They're full of themselves, basically. They are puffed up with idle notions. What are they doing? They're sitting around doing nothing. Puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They claim to be spiritual, but they're unspiritual. Verse 19, look what he says. Remember, the R means remain. We need to remain in Christ. What happened to these false teachers? They did not remain in Christ. They they moved on from Christ. Verse 19 says, they have lost connection with the head. You see, they're not remaining. If they were remaining, they wouldn't have lost connection with the head. They lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. You need to remain in Christ. You do not move on from the fullness that you have in Christ. You do not try to seek fullness in other things that are not Christ. Now you can see the false humility of these teachers. And you can see it come out. They would say, do this and you will be full. But God has said through Paul in verse 10, no, 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 you have been brought to fullness, remember? You already are full. So God is saying, remain in my son in his fullness. And these teachers are saying, no, come out. And they're enticing too. They go into these details about these visions that they've had. Now, it's very interesting, this word visions of angels, worship of angels here. And as you see it, it's an ambiguous term. And in the Greek, it's ambiguous as well. What does Paul mean, the worship of angels? It can mean two things. It can either mean that these people are worshiping angels, which is obviously wrong worship of angels, or it could mean that they've had visions of angels worshiping God, all right, that validate their claims, and I think this is more likely, so the worship of angels, they're they're, they're caught up in visions of worship of angels. Well, why? Because in this this time period, uh, apocalyptic literature was popular. The Jewish people already had this idea that angels were mediating spirits, so you could just imagine, you know, somebody coming up and saying, I've had a vision from an angel of the Lord saying, this is what I need to do to be right with God. And then you can see Paul rebuking that right away, right? Look at Galatians. If I or an angel from heaven comes down and preaches a gospel other than what I presented to you, let them be accursed, he says. 
Why? Because Christ, the God-man, who is not an angel, by the way, he is deity, become humanity, has said in his flesh, this is the way. Who are you going to believe? God or someone else? So God is saying, remain in me. These false teachers are saying, no, 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 come out of this fullness if you really want fullness. So, what is Paul saying? He's saying that these people are puffed up with idle notions. They're full of themselves. They sit around and they try to get these spiritual experiences, but they've lost connection with the head. So, the solution, once again, is to abide in Christ. All through the Bible, we're called to remain in Christ. John 15, 5, Jesus himself says, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Earlier on in this same chapter that we're preaching through in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Continue in him. Remain. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So so even Paul has this idea of remaining in Christ. John the Apostle says, now little children, in 1 John 2.28, now little children, abide in him. All through the scripture we are called to abide, to remain in Christ. And abiding looks a certain way. When you take Christ into yourself and he lives in you and you live in him, you start to look like him. You produce the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ lives in you. It looks a certain way to the point where John the Apostle in 1 John 2.6 says that if you remain in him, that you're going to look a certain way. He says this, whoever claims to live in him, if you claim to remain in him, you must walk as Jesus did. Very interesting. Well, why will I walk as Jesus did? Well, if I am in Christ and Christ is in me and his virtuous life is in me and living through me and his spirit is enabling me and the power of God is in me, then I'm going to look like Jesus. If he is the head, in other words, I am going to look like his body. And then we can kind of see where the idea of us being the body of Christ comes in. You are a representative here on this earth, this church. You make the invisible God visible. Is Christ's presence here on this earth? Yes, it is through you. His hands and his feet. Together, we make the invisible God visible. The fruit that Jesus produces is not an anxious fruit that is constantly trying to take care of itself. The fruit that Jesus produces is a fruit of peace that is certain that everything is taken care of because God has taken care of me. The fruit that Jesus produces is not a fruit that works towards fullness. It's a fruit that works from fullness. From security. It doesn't use people. It loves them. False teachers would have you move on from Christ to your own works, but the gospel is, and this is, this is the subtlety of the gospel, and I don't want you to miss it, because this is where Satan can come and twist things. The gospel is this. If you dwell in God's doctrine that you've been brought to fullness in Christ, and you bask in the grace of God, and understand that everything has been paid for, and that you're taken care of, the, the gospel is this. You will out of gratitude, viewing the mercy of God work. Not because you have to, but because through the changing power of the Spirit in your life, you want to. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2, we often preach it a lot, right? It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's very easy to get to that second part, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. But you're not supposed to get to that part without first going through the first 11 chapters of, of Romans, right? And you know what the first 11 chapters are about? The mercy of God. And so Paul says, therefore, whenever you see therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it therefore? And it's saying, therefore, in light of everything I've just said, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The motivation is different when you're looking at the mercy of God. You do things because you want to, not because you have to. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I I quoted it earlier, says that you're saved by grace, not by works, and no one can boast. But then the second part Verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So it's not that good works are absent from us as Christian. It's just our motivation has been changed. We're not working from a a place of emptiness trying to be full. We're working from a place of fullness trying to pour out God's love onto this world. We work by nature, not by obligation. We're set free from the law, but we still look like the law's requirements. We do by nature, according to the new covenant, the things required by the law. This is what God promised, that he would put his law in our hearts. And this is what he does in the gospel. The gospel is if you dwell in Christ, in Christ in you, you will work. Well, why? Because you can't come into contact with someone as big and great and holy as God and have him live in your heart and not show it. It's impossible. So to help us depend on Christ's fullness, Paul corrects these Colossians. He says, we must remember the fullness of Christ is reality. R number one, what's R number two? The fullness of Christ is where we remain. And finally, the the third R is, the fullness of Christ is the reason we have the power to say no to sin. The reason we have the power to say no to sin. Colossians 2.20 says this. Let's go on and keep reading. We're going to read to the end of the chapter now. It says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Now look at this verse, verse 23, and just pay attention to what Paul says here. He says, such regulations, such regulations, such rules, indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. Once again, their false humility and their harsh treatment of their bodies the harsh treatment of the body, but look at this last part, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They look good on the inside, but in the end, they cannot say no to sin. They cannot say no to the flesh. They cannot say no to the things of this world. The false teachers, they enticed people through their spiritual ecstatic experiences, saying, you want this experience too? Well, then you got to do these things. But in the end, they were not living like Christ would have them live. Have you ever tried to give up sin apart from the power of God? You find yourself over and over again coming up empty, wondering why. Why can't I give up this sin? I know even in my walk with Christ, there's been struggles in my life where I've been like, why can't I get up, give up the sin? And I remember reading in college one day, I was reading through Oswald Chambers. And I was reading on the grace of God by Oswald Chambers. And I came across this, this quote, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember it perfectly. 
What it basically said, and it helped open my eyes, and there's a few more things that he said along with it that helped as well, but it helped me to realize what it meant to lean on the strength of God and not on my own strength, the strength of his gospel and his fullness. It said, God doesn't call you to live your virtuous life. And here I was trying really hard to give up this sin, and I couldn't, I couldn't be virtuous like God wanted me to. And I was trying in my own strength, even as a Christian, to give up this, this sin, and I couldn't. And here I was trying to live in my old man, my old virtues. And so Oswald would say something like, God doesn't call you to live your virtuous life, but to let the virtuous life of Christ live in you and through you. And here's the idea. And it kind of clicked for me. Now, God is developing virtues in you, and it kind of clicked for me that Jesus doesn't struggle with patience, does he? And Jesus lives in me, doesn't he? And I can tell the difference between the Spirit of God in me and me trying to be good. Well, even in this area of my life of sanctification, I need to die to myself and work Christ out. He doesn't struggle with these virtues. The power of God is already there in me, and he wants to conform me to the image of his Son. And so he molds my heart, and he gives me the strength to be like him because he lives in me. And so we understand that if we abide in him, we're going to start to look a certain way because Christ looks a certain way. We're going to start to produce the fruit of the Spirit because this is the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. Colossians 1.27 talks about how Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so it gives us hope beyond this life, but also the Spirit of God is in us to help us, lead us into all truth to lead us away from sin, and to empower us. Ephesians chapter 1 says the same power that raised Christ from the grave is alive in you. And so do not tell me that if you're in Christ, you don't have the power to overcome your sin. You do. You have Christ living in you. You have access to the God of the universe living inside of you. Now here's the rub. If you don't have Christ, you don't have this power. So you might... Be a false teacher and say, Jesus plus something brings you fullness. Well, that means no fullness at all. That means when you're coming up against real sins in your life and real vices that have become entrenched in your life, they're well-worn past that you've gone over and you can't get out of them. You're not going to be able to get out of them because you don't have the power of God in you. And so these false teachers are going to preach a big game saying, if you do this, you're going to have these spiritual experiences. You're you're going to have to do these rules, though. But in the end, they have no power to restrain from sensual indulgence. And that's going to be the difference. The reason that we need to focus on Christ's fullness is that the fullness of Christ is the reason we actually have power to say no now to sin. That's the reason. But in Christ, you're brought to fullness. In Christ, you're brought to fullness. One of my favorite scriptures is Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us the grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, purify for himself, a people of his very own, now listen to this part, eager, eager to do what is good. 
Not under obligation, not because they have to, but eager. It's a position of the heart that's been changed, eager to do what is good. This is the sign of the new covenant. But what does the grace of God do according to this passage? It teaches us to say no to sin. When you're brought to fullness in Christ and Christ lives in you, you can say no for a few reasons. Well, why? Because the grace of God turns our heart. When, when our eyes are set on the love that God has for us and the mercy of God, our hearts are turned for him. But he doesn't just leave it there. It's not just some psychological observation that we get to see and say, okay, well, yeah, great, God is merciful. Of course I'm going to love him. It's more than just that. When we see this and we say, God, thank you for it. Jesus Christ, as we believe the gospel, enters our heart and then empowers us to say no. So not only do we have the external motivation, which is God has been so merciful to me. How could I, how could I do this against him? But now we have this internal subjective motivation as well, where Christ lives in my heart and he is empowering me to say no as well. And more than just this, in us, as Christ lives in us, he is compelling us to look forward to something. A day where he gets to come back and make us new. And so it's, it's a threefold motivation. Grace turns our heart. Grace gives us power. And then grace gives us hope that something better than this world is coming. Why would I take this world if something better is coming? Just imagine if you had a Michelin star chef in the room today. And you had another choice over here, which was an all-you-can-eat buffet, the stuff that you're used to your whole entire life. This is all you've ever known. But then all of a sudden, this Michelin star chef, he comes into the room, and he says to you, hey, I've got something better for you. I want you to taste this. And then you say, but I really like my buffet. Like, my buffet is pretty nice. Like, I got all the stuff that I I'd normally like. But the Michelin star chef is saying, no, 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 I love you so much that I've got something better than that. I've tasted that too. It's bad stuff, okay? You don't want any of that. Here, instead, I want you to taste this instead. And you say, okay, I'll taste it. And then you taste it, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is amazing. And the Michelin star chef says, look, if you wait, I'm going to continue to give you these appetizers. And I'm going to continue to feed you and feed you and feed you. But just know this. you got to depend on me. I am going to go back into this room. And in two days, in two days, I'm going to make you the meal of your life. All I'm asking you to do is not eat that slop. It's just gross. It grosses me out to even think about you eating that slop. And then you're there. Thinking buffet or Michelin star restaurant. If you really understand what the gospel is and how good Christ is and the fullness that you're given in him, you start to taste on him and he starts to feed you in this life. You start to, to taste and feed on the end result at the beginning of your salvation. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, why would I take that? I have fullness in Christ. And then he teaches you through your life to say no to sin as you taste and see that God is good. Why? Because he says, I've got something better. Something better is coming. Something better is coming for you. I know many of you in this room are senior citizens. Some of you aren't, but maybe you've gone through some tragedy in your life. And you might be thinking your best days are behind you. This is what I want you to understand about the gospel. If you are a Christian and you're found in Christ, the guarantee of the gospel is this. That Michelin star restaurant guy, he guaranteed something good, right? Something better was coming than that slop. And he allowed that person to feed on him. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your best days are not behind you. 
Your best days are always, no matter how bad it gets while you're here on this earth, they are always in front of you. Always. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we say no now because we've tasted something better and we're brought to fullness. We don't need to add anything to it because we have Jesus Christ. And we know and we're convinced and we live by faith that something better is coming. Something better is coming. So to help us depend on the fullness of Christ and not ourselves, Paul reminds us that the fullness of Christ is reality. The fullness of Christ is where we need to remain. We might be tempted to go to that slop, but if we remain in Christ, he keeps on giving us foretastes of what's to come. And we keep our eyes on something better that's coming, and so we have the power now to say no. Now, it's not unlike my brothers and I, we, you know, if we know we're going to this place called Texas de Brazil, it's an all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouse in Miami, we might fast for the day and say no in the meantime because we know something better is coming. And that's what God asks you to do while you're here. You trust him so much that you say no now because you're convinced and you've tasted. You know something better is coming. So he asks you to remain in him. And finally, we must remember that the fullness of Christ is the reason that we say no to sin. So where the false teachers were encouraging the Colossians to take care of themselves, Paul was reminding them, in Christ, you are taken care of. Trust in his word. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your gospel. Help us to get our eyes on you, Jesus Christ. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would hand their life over to you, Jesus. That they would come to know you, to genuinely trust in you, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to rest in your fullness, to not be disconnected from you, the head, to remember that we are not supposed to be caught up but rather you came down to bring us to where we could never go. Help us to rest in you and to grow in our relationship with you, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. And this is what I want to do in closing before we do our closing hymn. At the end of the service, I'm going to be down here at the front with my wife, and I know it's going to be normal talking like, you know, after church you normally do. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you're not depending fully on Christ, you're not depending on Christ at all. I will stop my conversation with whoever if you come up to me and say, Thomas, I need Jesus. And we will stop right there and I will show you how to know Jesus. I'll show you how to put your faith in Jesus. That's my invitation to those in this room that don't know Christ. If the Lord is convicting your heart, come talk to me after the service. The invitation for the rest of you Remain in Him. And the more you do, the more you abide, the more fruit you'll produce. And it won't be yours. It'll be His. It'll be the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Thomas or Kylie. And God will get the glory. Also, get your eyes on Him. Get your eyes on the hope that you have one day. You're going to be resurrected like He was resurrected. And you're not going to be struggling with the body of pain that you're in right now. You're not going to be struggling with the sickness and and the hurt that you go through on this earth. You'll be in a perfect glorified body. That's your hope. Something better is always coming. 
Better than all of that is you'll be face to face with the God that you've worshipped your whole entire life. You have no idea what God has in store for you. Just know your best days are always in front of you. That's the hope of the gospel. Thank you for letting me preach to you this morning. I'm going to call Jimmy up and we're going to do a closing hymn, I believe, right? Did this message draw you closer to God or did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today? We want to hear about it. Let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and fill out the form at the bottom of the page and tell us what God did in your life through this message. Also, if you would like to bring T.S. Myers out to do ministry with your church or organization, send us a message on our website, turnevangelism.com. Thank you for joining us for this message from Turn Evangelism with T.S. Myers.